We're going to read the whole chapter 9 in St. John's Gospel, and it's on page 1075. Chapter 9, on page 1075. As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was blind at birth? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, this word meant sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied. And I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? 
Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciples. disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? the man asked. Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Thanks, guys, for reading that. Let me pray uh, as we come to look at these words. Heavenly Father, you tell us, well, John tells us in his book that the reason he's written uh, all these words is so that we might find out who Jesus is, so that we would believe in him and in him find real life. Please, would you help us with that tonight? Help us to know who the Lord Jesus is uh, better. Amen. I wonder how you feel when, when the lights get turned on. Um, how do you feel when the, the lights are switched on? Maybe you've been away and you've come back home and maybe it's been housemates or barely adult children who've been keeping things tidy and you walk back into the house and turn the light on and then you see it. How do you feel at those moments? Or or maybe it's first thing in the morning, looking in the mirror. <laughs> you switch the light on, <laughs> and you're confronted with yourself. How do you feel those moments when uh, you turn the light on? We, we like to know stuff, don't we? Uh, we want to see things the way they really are. And yet, uh, being seen can also make us nervous. We, we might feel that we're kind of, uh, we're good at finding out things about others, but we get twitchy, don't we, at the thought of others seeing too much about us. Sometimes it makes us nervous, a bit uncomfortable. Get those kind of thoughts, uh, those kind of feelings in your head, and you'll have a way into John chapter 9 when Jesus says, in the reading we've just had, if you've got it open in front of you, I am the light of the world. It sounds nice, isn't it? It's almost poetic the way it uh, comes out. I'm the light of the world. But it's an outrageous statement. If you were here last week as we began to look at this chapter, it's an outrageous thing. He's saying that you and I can only see things in, in light of who he is. Uh, Jesus is saying, he's the only one who really sees everything the way it is. And you'll only see 
at what the world is like, what other people are like, what you're like, even what you're like in relation to him. Now, he's not saying, he's not saying that you don't see anything. Of course you see things. You, you see things all the time, don't you? You see friends at school, those of you who are at school, what they're up to. You see people who are difficult. Uh, you see things you'd like to buy. Uh, you see uh, things that take your breath away. You see the silent button on your mobile phone. You see all sorts of things, don't you, to turn the thing off. Uh, you see, you see things that make you sad. But Jesus says, and this is the outrageous thing, isn't it? He, he says, you're not really seeing them. All you're doing is at best getting a feel for them. And kind of making up for yourself what you think it's really about. A friend told me in the past week that at their school, a former pupil came back to give a speech, kind of speech day for the school, and they said to the girls, you are the cream of the cream. You're potentially the best. If you work hard enough, you can achieve whatever you want. Nobody at my school ever said that to us. I went to a very different kind of school in Glasgow. But you understand what they're saying. They're, they're doing exactly that thing. They're saying, look, I've looked at life. I've looked at it, and this is the way I see it. But Jesus says, no. No. I am the light of the world. Who does he think he is? Well, he thinks he's God. And it's not the first time he said it. Back in John chapter 8, you can look at it later if you want. Back in John chapter 8 and verse 12, he said the same kind of thing. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He's saying back there, he said it already, if you want to see real life, you need to live your life following him. It's an outrageous claim, isn't it? He's saying if you're not following him, you won't see real life. If you follow him, Uh, you'll see it. And when he said that kind of thing, the Jewish leaders of the day, they got really fidgety because throughout the Old Testament, God, when God described the mess that the world's in, in our present day, we think about governments. It's not the only time the world's felt like a mess. It's always felt that kind of way. But throughout the Old Testament, when God described the, the mess of the world, he said it's because people turned away from him. And in Isaiah, one of the Old Testament prophets, he says to people who've turned away, you've become sort of blind. And then he made a promise. Steve read the words of that promise at the beginning of the service from Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 18. He, he said these words, in that day, a promised future day, in that day, the deaf will hear the word, word of the scroll and out of the gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. God made a promise that one day he would come and spiritually he would, he would switch the lights back on for people, help them see and live properly again. And they know what Jesus is saying. The Jewish leaders know what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm that guy. I'm the one who made that promise. I'm God. So back in chapter 8, verse 13, they, they challenge him. And this is the thing they said to him. Look, here you are. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your, your testimony is not valid. And they're saying, I guess, what, what anyone can say. Nice try, Jesus. You can show up making those kind of claims. What's the evidence? And so you come to John chapter 9. And with that, those kind of things ringing in your ears, you understand what's going on here, what this is all about. It's some evidence. Evidence. 
Is he what he claims? Is Jesus what he claims? Is he the one who can turn the light on? So Jesus sets up a test. And then he steps away. That's what was going on with this story. And the person who's going to give the evidence... The person who's going to be left presenting the evidence is poor and vulnerable. He's not prepared at all. Less prepared than you'd be for doing the Mark drama. He's had no preparation at all. He's just left there, poor and vulnerable. And he's questioned by people who outnumber him. They're smarter. They're better connected. They can deliver bigger threats, as you'll see. So this guy can't fix anything. All he can do is give the evidence. You see what's going on? The Jesus you meet in the gospel, he's not trying to trick anyone. He's saying, look, just be honest. Look at the evidence. Can you see it? So let's see. Let's have a look. Uh, two, two kind of simple things to, to look at this evening. Here's the first thing. Look, it's simply this. Jesus can make blind people see. Uh, chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus and his disciples, they see a man who's been blind from birth. And in verse 6, he spits on the ground. He makes some kind of mud paste and he puts it on the man's eyes, sends him to wash. And the man comes back seeing. When I was about eight years old, one evening at home, my dad, he went into the bathroom and a few minutes later, a complete stranger came out and I was terrified, absolutely terrified. I remember standing at the top of the stairs, frightened. He'd shaved his beard off. And I'd never seen him without it, and I didn't know who he was. It completely changed the look of his face. It freaked me out. You get used to someone, don't you? You get used to someone looking a certain way. Uh, This blind man, he's changed. And what follows next through this whole story is a collection of people all saying what they've seen. And in verses 8 to 12, the first kind of section, it's his neighbors. And his If you followed it as we read through, they are baffled and confused. Verse 9, some claimed it was him. Others said, no, it only looks like him. And you get the point. Nobody doubts. It looks like the guy. It really does look like him. The only confusing thing for the people around is, well, he can see now. It's not mistaken identity. He's the guy who is blind. And eventually they they come to say, look, we we can't explain this in any other way. It it must be a kind of miracle. And what do you do with miracles? Well, you go and talk to the the religious experts about that. That's what they're doing. So they, they talk to the local religious experts, that's the Pharisees, and they've got a problem with this miracle. But even they say in verse 16 that it looks pretty impressive. But they want to check it out. And so you see what they do. They get the man's parents in, and they ask three questions. That's verse 19, if you're following it through. There's the questions. Is this your son, the one that you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? And we're told the parents answer the first two questions. Verse 20, we know he is our son, and we know that he was born blind. They don't want to answer the third question. But the evidence is there. This is the guy. This is the man who was born blind, and now he can see. Jesus can make blind people see. That's what the evidence is showing everyone who's looking at it. And that's all very exciting, isn't it? I mean, it is an exciting miracle, but 
it's just if we stop there, we don't really be seeing things properly because all of this kicked off with Jesus claiming he was the light of the world, the one who could restore not just kind of physical sight to people, but make us people who can see and live God's way. In fact, Jesus seems to think this little miracle is meant to tell you something about God. Remember that odd discussion back at the beginning. Jesus says, verse 3, this happens so that the works of God might be displayed. This miracle is meant to, is meant to show you and me what God wants to do and how God will do it. How's God going to get people who live the wrong way, who make choices ignoring God, and walk away from real life? How will he make them see life clearly again? How can God do that? How can he do it for your friends? The people that you sit beside at work or at school, how can he do it for your friends? How can he do it for your family? How can he do it for you? See, this little story says you can't do it yourself. There's not a pill you can take. There's not a set of exercises that you can do. You can't find an app that you can download for this. There's no determination that you can muster in yourself to do it. This says it needs a miracle. Something outside of you. Something outside of this world has got to come in for you, for your friends, in order for this to happen. And this story says Jesus is the one who can do that. Jesus really can make blind people see. Which is why verse 39 is so unsettling. Did you spot that when it was read for us? Look at it with me. Verse 39, just over the page. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world. For judgment I have come into the world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. So while it's true Jesus can make blind people see, he's telling us what will happen to you is, Jesus will either restore you, or he will blind you. That's what will happen with you and Jesus. He'll either restore you, or he will blind you. In other words, when Jesus begins to shine his light into your life and into the way you're living, one of two things will happen. You'll either say yes to him and you'll begin to look at life the way he shows it to you or you will say no to him and close your eyes to the way he shows you life. You'll either be restored or you'll be blinded. That'll be true for you, it'll be true for me, it'll be true for everyone. And it's what happens in the story. And the Pharisees, let me tell you about them. Uh, The Pharisees have a problem. Verse 14, we're told this. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. In the Old Testament, God commanded his people to stop work one day a week, the Sabbath. And it was a clear command for their good for all sorts of reasons. You're to stop work, not to do any work. But the Pharisees took that law and they added to all sorts of other regulations. All sorts of other rules. Things they said had to be done or or not done so that even healing someone or even kneading a bit of mud together they decided was disobeying God. And what they've done is they've taken something God said for the good of his people and they've added to it their own ideas. Um, Ideas that limit 
but even limit the good you could do for other people. But now Jesus shows up claiming to be the one the whole of the Old Testament was pointing towards, challenging the made-up rules, claiming that he can deliver what people need and presenting evidence that he's real. And you wonder with this challenge, what are they going to do? Will they look at life honestly in light of Jesus? Or will they close their eyes to him? Will they begin to say no? And so you get to verse 16 in the story as we went through it. And you find they're conflicted. Some say he's not from God because of the Sabbath. They're kind of version of the rules. Others say, well, look, how could he have done this miracle? They're, they're conflicted about what's going on. It unsettles them. So verses 18 to 23, what they're doing is they check the evidence. They, they're getting the parents in. You understand that. They've decided the man and his neighbors are not reliable. We can't just trust this. We've got to get some other evidence. They're trying to find another explanation. Is he not their son? Was he not really blind? Tell us another reason for what's happened. That's why in verse 22, his parents don't want to answer. They, they know the leaders are not really after evidence. All they want to do is discredit Jesus. Find a way to write him off. And by verses 24 to 34, look, it, it just becomes blind intimidation. That phrase in verse 24 where it says, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. They're not saying, look, thank and praise God for what he's done. How can we explain it? Give, give glory to God. When they say that to him, it's kind of like, it's kind of like look, you're in court and you're under oath. It's that kind of sense to it. Give glory to God. Take an oath. Be honest here. And they've already decided. Tell the truth. We know Jesus is a sinner, so tell us the dodgy thing he's done. It's an incredible thing, isn't it? Way back in chapter 8, when they first began to challenge Jesus, they said, give us some evidence. And they sounded like they were people who were open to evidence. Just present it to us. Give us the evidence. But now when it's presented, when he's done an astounding miracle that even they can't deny, they close their eyes to Jesus. And so in effect, he blinds them. But did you notice? For the man, for the man who was blind, the, the journey goes in almost the opposite direction. All the way through. Uh, the questions keep coming. Who is Jesus? Back in verse 11, he's a man. That's all he says. Uh, the man they call Jesus, he healed me. He doesn't say anything else about him. That, that's all he knows. He, he's a guy. I heard about him. He came and he seemed to have healed me. Who is Jesus? Verse 17, he's moved on a bit. He's a prophet. Who is Jesus? Then in verse 33, he is from God. If this man were, were not from God, he could do nothing. You see how his thinking is progressing. He's beginning to weigh up the evidence himself, put it together. Look, what can we say about this? He must be from God. No one else has ever done anything like this. Who is Jesus? Then in verse 38, he's the Lord you should worship. The leaders throw the man out. But Jesus comes and finds him. And it's, it's like now he really opens his eyes. He says to the man, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? 
Who is he? You've been thrown out of this other place. And I know these guys are not credible. They're not after the truth. Who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said, you have now seen him. Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. What does all that mean for us? This intriguing story, this lovely man, as you listen to him. Here's four things. Four things to remember. Here's the first of them. Look to Jesus with humility. Uh, This story is saying to us, look, Jesus is the light of the world. You can only live life properly if if you live it in light of what he tells you. And he's given ample evidence to back up his claims. Don't close your eyes to the things he says about life. No, I think that can be hard. I reckon some of you here, you'll have, you'll have come to Jesus and to Christian things probably in the past couple of years. Or it might be you've been away from Christian things and you've come back to it again and it feels like you're, you're starting up in the Christian life and you, you feel like you're beginning to see things afresh, but you've come with ways of living that you're used to. It's true for many of us. And, and sometimes we've, we've come with ways of living that have got us into a bit of a mess. We're not the same as the Pharisees, but we've built our own kind of rules. And even if we know they're not great, they sort of work for us. How you handle relationships. How you handle money. How you handle work how you handle family and how you use your time, all sorts of things like that. And you might be at the stage now when you're, you're seeing what Jesus says and you're feeling the temptation, it'll be easier to stick with what I know. It's too hard. It's too complicated to change. Don't do that. I keep looking to Jesus And humbly trust him. He's the light of the world. What he shows you, if he puts something before you as a way to live, what he shows you, it will lead to real life. Remember to be humble. Here's the second thing. Look, if you look to Jesus, expect opposition. Don't be surprised by it. For this man looking to Jesus, it it didn't lead to an easy ride, did it? Even members of his own family don't really back him up. They don't want to find out. They want to avoid any hassle themselves. And again, I expect, I suspect some of you know the pain of that. Parents who shake their heads, you become a bit too serious about religion. Maybe it's academic colleagues who slightly mock your faith. Gosh, do you really believe all that spiritual mumbo-jumbo? And if they don't say it out loud, they give you the vibes. You're one of those people. But the thing to notice from here is, look, Jesus uses opposition to mature faith. I mean, this man, he, he was a blind man begging. He'd been blind all his life. He's completely out of his depth and he's being hammered. But as you read the story, don't you love him? Don't you, don't you read about him in this, the way he answers and begins to grow in confidence? Don't you think, I wish I could be a bit like that? To be someone at times who feels out of my depth, but I'm just going to say what I think is true and keep going with it. Wouldn't you want that? Wouldn't you want to be a bit like him? Wouldn't you want to grow in faith like that? John chapter 9 says, 
This is how you get it. And those of you who are maybe still at school, I, I think of someone I knew called Fiona at secondary school. Her English teacher said one day, look, I just want to do a private survey. All of you, close your eyes, heads down on the desk. Now let me ask, if you're a Christian, um, just pop your hand up in the air. Fiona was a Christian. She put her hand up in the air. And the teacher said, that, that's fine. Everyone, hands down, heads up. You can open your eyes now. Now, Fiona, stand up and tell the class why you're a Christian. It's outrageous, isn't it? It's designed to slightly humiliate. bullying tactic. And Fiona got to her feet and said what she could say. Now, those of you who are at school, I don't know what you'll face. Hopefully nothing like that. That would be. Well, that's just mean, isn't it? But I don't know what you'll face at school. What will happen if, you, if you're someone who begins to gently affirm that you're someone who follows Jesus, that you're a Christian, that Sunday by Sunday you come along and meet with a church family? I guess you might be mocked. I guess there's times when you might be embarrassed. I imagine there might even be times when you lose friends. I don't know exactly what will happen, but what I do know is that Jesus won't waste it. He won't waste it. And he will use even that to bring you to rich confidence in him. And that will be true whether you're at school or it's the workplace or even if it's just with friends at the school gates, wherever it is. And I think what's even more important than that, more important than Jesus helping you grow in those ways, is this last thing, is that even if others forsake you, Jesus will come for you. There's a whole period in the middle of the story um, where Jesus seems not to be in it. And I I suspect there are times when you felt Jesus has not been in your story too. You felt on your own. You felt alone. Remember, this man, he wasn't looking for Jesus. But Jesus was looking for him and listening for him. Just look at verse 35. Here's the last thing. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and he found him. It's the story of the gospel. It's the story of the whole Bible. Jesus will always come for you. If you're trusting him, he will always come for you. He is the light of the world. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for these words. Thank you for evidence you give to people who doubt you. You do incredible things, open the eyes of the blind, things that no one else could do, uh, just like that. But more wonderfully, you open our eyes to who you are, to who God is, and to the forgiveness in new life you can bring. Please would you help us to humbly trust you. Amen.